Thanks. I'm not sure how many of you have had the opportunity to fly on an airplane, and you know much of it is about getting ready. And you're packing your bags, you're figuring out what to have in that bag, you know you have a limited amount of space, you're preparing, you've got your plane ticket, you're dealing with how long it's going to take you to get there, and there's a lot of thinking about that flight before you ever arrive at it. You get in the car, you travel down the freeway, if you're going here, you're going 65, 75 miles an hour. And then you finally arrive at the airport, you get a parking space, you go through security, and you wait. That's going to represent high school. It's pretty fast, you're moving along, you're making some progress, but you're not really getting there. You finally get called to board the plane, you decide whether you're going to listen to the flight attendant or not. And then you hear those engines start to roar. And the plane leaves the jetway, goes down the runway, and you feel those engines starting to get revved up. And finally, it hits the runway. The pilot has lined the plane up, given permission to take off. And if you're in a 747, you are now going to go 185 miles an hour. And you know it. You feel it. Your head goes back in that seat, and you just close your eyes, you hope everything's okay, and then you're in the air. That represents college. It's fast, and you know it's fast. You're making progress, you're heading down that runway, and then you're in the air. When you're in that air space, and you're at cruising altitude, you are now going 550 miles an hour, and you're unaware of it. You're going over houses, farms, fields, oceans, people doing life. And those miles are years. And life goes by that fast. You are flying through it, and then suddenly you get a chance, an opportunity to look back. And you realize how fast this all goes. Years ago, we lived in Southern California. I began my career as an illustrator. And we lived in a small little town called Santa Ana. Santa Ana had a reputation, but it had affordable housing. We lived between two gangs, Del High and F Troop. And those two gangs would sometimes drive through our neighborhood. They would tag the perimeter. And um, there was tension. But a lot of young couples were trying to find affordable housing, and so we moved all into that neighborhood. It wasn't uncommon to hear gunfire. It wasn't uncommon to hear Uzi machine guns at certain points. So it was really difficult, it was stressful at certain points, and I felt many times just, man, I am not in control of my own living situation. And I remember the stress of just trying to launch a business, trying to get that rolling, building a reputation as an illustrator, and so you felt that tension, I know God had us there, it was stressful, it was difficult, but I didn't feel in control at all. And I know how, that's how some of you feel about your life. You know you're in the right spot, and it feels a little bit dangerous because if you go with plan A, that's dangerous. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So one day I realized how stressed out I was and how stressed out my poor wife was. I'm a young dad. I have three children under the age of five. And I'm in my studio. Our studio is detached from the house. It's a little studio garage, and I'm working away in there. And one way that I got perspective is that I tried to listen to something on the radio that I could just 
get good advice, good opinion, good perspective. So I'd listen to pastors. I'd listen to talk radio, a positive talk radio. And um, there was a counseling station that was on. And I decided to, I would listen to that on a, this particular day. And the guy is talking about stress. And he says, we're going to talk to a young mom who has three young children. And I go, oh my gosh. So I turned it up and listened to it. And, and after this station break, we're going to come back to this young mom. So I'm just listening because I want to learn. Because man, if somebody can give me some traction about how to do this life a little bit better, I'm going to listen. So anyway, they chime into the, the gal that's on the other side of the radio and um, on the phone. And this woman is just crying. She's just just go, I have three and, and I'm listening. I go, oh my gosh, that's my wife. And she's on the phone and just totally crushed by the circumstances of her life. And I realized, man, we are in some serious trouble. My life is totally out of control and I don't know how to fix it. There's a passage in Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 20. And there's this incredible situation going on. There's a king named King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat is a pretty good king. He does some really smart things, and he trusts God when he's overwhelmed. And when he's making small decisions, he doesn't really trust him that much. He doesn't get a lot of counsel. But overall, this guy's pretty great. And he sets up the kingdom. He's got a lot of army. He's got a lot of soldiers. He's got a lot of fortresses. He's got food stores. So he's really well-planned. Unaware to, to, in his mind, he's got three armies preparing to come against him. And one day, out of the blue, King Jehoshaphat gets a message from his spies. And he said, there are three vast armies approaching us from across the sea. And then he says, and they're already here. Now, I don't know about you. There's times when we have resources, and then you realize that the resources you thought you had enough of are no longer enough. Jehoshaphat's response is probably much like ours would be. He is paralyzed with fear. Now, you're brave right now because you're sitting in a chair. There's nothing really confronting you that's prompting you to be fearful but some of you know that there's something humming in the back of your life that you know is coming and you're not really sure how to deal with it. So what you have in your back pocket is called a backup plan. You're saying, well, if this does not work, I'm going to go this route. You know, you know for sure God has called you to something. You're not sure how to connect the dots yet, and that's fine. But you know that God has a plan A for you. And not only does he have a plan A, he has plan A's for you. He's got many things that are plan A's that, de that are determined by their obstacle, by the opposition, by the challenge, by the difficulty, by the impossibility of you actually succeeding at plan A. Because he wants you to depend on him for plan A. So Jehoshaphat's going to find out some news real quick that he is not enough, and he realizes that. And this is what he does. The army is already there, so they're already approaching him. And he does something that is very uncommon for a human being to do. Instead of speeding up, he slows down. He prays. 
You know, when you're lost, if your GPS is not working and your phone is dead and you know you're lost, you typically drive faster to get lost faster. You know, that's, that's what we do. So in his panic, he at least has the mind to pray. And this is what, this is what he does. He prays and then he calls a fast, a nationwide fast. He's in Jerusalem and all Judea is warned about these three opposing armies, and they're intimidating. And Jehoshaphat brings everybody together. And it's not even just a fast for the men. It's a fast for the women. It's a fast for the children. And it's even a fast for the infants. So they're all congregating to Jerusalem. Because they're, they know they're dead. And I don't know about you, but when you face circumstances that death is right in front of you, you react differently. You are now focused. So everybody's together. And Jehoshaphat prays this amazing prayer. And he goes through it. He praises God. He also complains to God. But at the end, this is what he says. We have no power against this vast army. We have no power against this vast army. And this is what he says that blows me away that I have not heard in leadership, I don't think forever, that we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. How many leaders actually ever admit that they're powerless in our day? How many leaders actually admit they don't have a clue how to solve this? You have no clue how you're going to solve your life. You are guessing. You are guessing. You are using your best thinking right now to solve the problem that you are totally unaware how to fix. And your best thinking stinks. Because it's no way, there's no way it can be solved in your way. Because God is going to allow certain things into your life that are going to foster something that's far better than you can imagine if you have the courage to receive it. Some of you are depending on your bodies, your intelligence. Some of you are depending on a bank account. We all have this stuff that we have in our back pocket that says, if this does not work, if God does not come through, I'm going to use my best thinking to solve this. But when it's impending death with armies approaching, you realize you cannot save the people that you're responsible for. Like, I couldn't spare my kids in the environment that we are living in. I couldn't protect my kids. When Jehoshaphat prays and he admits this, I can't imagine just, I mean, we're small in here, but Jehoshaphat has well over a million armed soldiers I mean, he's got some stuff. He's got, he's got something that he could bring to the fight. And he realizes and admits that he's powerless. Some of your folks might have some awesome bank accounts. And in their mind, it might be enough and maybe it's not enough. Everybody is faked out by those zeros. Some of you can believe God for $10 because if he doesn't come through, $10 can be had. Some of you can believe God for 100 because if God doesn't come through with 100 you know, you can get a loan. What about a thousand? Some of you guys can believe God for a thousand. Some of you could believe God for 10,000 because you're going to sign off a loan and 
God's going to be good because I don't need it right now so I can be brave. But what happens when that money or that dollar sign gets to be silly? Like you need to trust God for 150000 And then it becomes laughable. And that's where you're at when you know you've got to trust God because you cannot fix this. When you need that kind of debt. When you have that kind of debt hanging over you. Okay, so it's all quiet. Just like you guys are. Because they don't know what to do next. But you can imagine the babies crying. You can imagine the mothers knowing that they're going to lose their children. You know, all of that emotion is being played out in this thing. So this is not an easy story. And then in all the quiet, this guy that has no authority speaks up. And he says, don't be discouraged. And he tells the king, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this battle's not yours. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. This guy, Jehaziel, is a worship leader. This guy has no military experience, does not know what it's like to be in the middle of a fight like this. And Jehoshaphat listens to this man who's now infused by the Spirit of God. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that don't make sense about this passage. This whole portion of Scripture doesn't make sense. So Jehoshaphat decides, I'm going to buy what Jehaziel's saying. I'm going to trust God because we are powerless to do this. Jehaziel tells him, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. He tells him this twice. He wants him to get it. And when Jehoshaphat agrees, all the people come together. And I am sure they're scared. Like you might be scared about maybe your first interview. No one's going to kill you, but you might be a little intimidated by it. See, with these three vast armies, if we're talking about that Jehoshaphat has a million million armed soldiers, these guys probably have a lot more. So there's a lot of people approaching. There's a lot of challenge. And the one thing that you have to remember, that God is not impressed nor intimidated by numbers. Those numbers don't intimidate him. Your debt, when you leave school, that might intimidate you. You actually might be mad about that debt. But what if you laid it out all before God and said, God, I have no idea how this thing's going to get solved because I have no money to deal with this. And for God, this is no big deal. What he requires of you is surrender. That's where courage begins. Courage begins with surrender. When you admit you are powerless to solve this life that you're called to live. You are called to live an extraordinary life. God did not create any of you to be small. We all buy into that because small is safe. Small is something that I don't really have to do with God. But God is crying out for something that not many of us are prepared to give him, which is trust. Trust is not rational. Let me say that again. Trust is not rational. Trust is relational. The only way you could see God do extraordinary things in your life 
is to have a relationship with him. It's the only way. That you could believe him for things that are far greater than you can ever imagine. You're imagining your life already maybe 10 years from now. And 10 years from now, some of you are going to be in your 30s. And you're going to have an opportunity, like that plane ride of going 550 miles an hour. You're going to look back at age 30, and you're going to go, what kind of life have I lived? And if God allows it, you're going to be 40. And you're going to look back, and you're going to say, what dreams did I compromise? What did I, what did I avoid? What detour did I take and not step into what God has called me to to do. Now, when he's calling you into this, he is not calling you into this to make you fearful. He's calling you into this to make you brave. The only way that you can know you're brave is to be at something difficult, something that's harder than you, something that's bigger than you, something that is impossible to do. I mean, I, I meet with a lot of parents, and they bring their son and daughter into the art building. And there are parents that are absolutely extraordinary. They're great. They're for their kids. And then I get some parents and say, how is my kid going to get a job in this business? And there, you can see the cynicism, but there's something else behind it. Sometimes the parent is afraid of telling their friends that their kid is an art major. Because most people say, oh, you're doing art for a hobby. And that's the mindset. You know, and, and God is not calling you into something that everybody's going to approve of. Whether you're Christian ministries, whether you're in business, whatever it is, he's not calling you into the thing that you think makes sense. Eventually, he's going to steer this life in a way, if you're obedient, he's not going to allow you to get stuck into the, the mediocrity of just saying, hey, this is my life, I'm living for the weekend. That is not what God is about. So Jehoshaphat buys this whole deal with Jehaziel. And this is what he does, which I find amazing. He decides to put the choir out front. Usually during that kind of situation, you're bringing the meanest, most experienced warriors in front because you're trying to intimidate that next army. And you're trying to bring your best game to your situation. But he decides to bring the choir out front. And as he brings the choir out front, they sing louder as they go. Jehoshaphat is now leaving the safety of Jerusalem. God is taking you out of everything that you feel secure about, and he's going to remove it. Because he wants you to depend on him. If you want to find out what brings joy to God, it's dependence. Now, um, we have taught our kids to be courageous, to face circumstances that are going to overwhelm them. But they're going to do it incrementally. You do it with what's in front of you. If you're trying to figure out, how do I become brave? You do the next right thing that's in front of you. You keep the promise that you just made. You are faithful to the next step. I have a short little clip I'm going to show you. It's of one of my sons. And um, what you'll see are two exhausted wrestlers. Even if you've never wrestled before, um, you probably have, this is not pro wrestling, this is high school wrestling. 
These two wrestlers are exhausted. It's at the end of a long day of wrestling. They're sweaty. They're tired. They're exhausted. And the score is tied. It's a big tournament. It's a big deal. And both wrestlers are really good. But I want you to not get distracted by the wrestler. There's something more going on. And it's the person behind the camera. All right? And you'll get it when you see it. So let's play this clip. When I look at that, and I look back at that kind of clip, that was one step that Kyle was making to be courageous. Because inside him, as inside all of you, is the temptation to quit when it gets difficult. You misunderstand God when it gets too hard. You're wondering, why are you bringing me through this? The only way courage gets forged is in opposition. Obstacles, adversity, difficulties, sometimes what it feels like without number. They just keep coming. And some of you are tempted to quit. And I'm telling you, when you look back and you don't quit, you'll realize that when you're courageous, it changes the atmosphere of the room. Everything changes when you're courageous. When people see you make a move to be courageous, it changes the atmosphere. And some people in this room cannot buy that because that's too much power. But you're influential whether you like it or not. You're either leading people in a greater way or you're leading people in a wrong way. There's honestly no middle ground. If you look at Matthew 25, it's either invest or bury. There's no middle. And that really bugs people. It bugs me because I want to partially parachute out of planes. I want to partially do the thing that God calls me to, but God says, no, it's, all, it's this or this. And you have to pick that. Pick it in the middle of your uncertainty, that you surrender and you say, God, you have this. I don't know how to go a step further. And God will just tell you, just take one. Just take one step. There are times that God will lead you. There are times that God will walk alongside you. There'll be times when God walks behind you. Now listen. He will also carry you. And you have hope beyond your wildest imagination. When Jehoshaphat goes out and all the people are singing, he has no idea what he's going to face. And what he sees as they go to the vulnerable, most vulnerable place in the desert, they see the three armies all dead. God set ambushes beforehand and they never had to lift a finger. There was so much plunder, it took three days for them to collect it all. You stand in something long enough, you're going to watch God's hand and you're going to be a witness to it. 
If you're courageous, it's going to change the atmosphere. But in the mix of that, in the mix of that, there's going to be a few things that are going to throw you off. I'm just going to go through them real quick. First of all, it doesn't make sense. What I'm telling you for the most part might not make sense in your ears. It doesn't make sense to slow down. It doesn't make sense to pray. It doesn't make sense to fast. It doesn't make sense to leave a secure place, to become vulnerable to attack. It doesn't make sense just to worship or listen to a worship leader. It doesn't make sense to risk it all. But God's word to you today is to be fearless. Now, I grew up in New Jersey, and I have a very intense personality. The East Coast folks are all aware of this. And when I'm feeling fearful, I recite Psalm 27, 1. The message translates it like this. With God on my side, I am fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. And when I get afraid again, I say it louder. With God on my side, I am fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. And the reason why I say that, because Satan wants to pick a fight with you. Whether you like it or not, you're in a fight. And you have a decision to make about courage. And that step that you take towards it is going to bring hope. Because you're courageous for two reasons. To give glory to God and do it for the good of others. You're in the equation, but you're not in the most important part of the equation. You're doing this life that is hard and difficult and overwhelming for the good of somebody else. So that they can look back at their life and say, you know what, I remembered when they were courageous, I got courage. I knew I could do it. And that gives hope to people. The last thing I want to tell you is that courage is courageous. Courage is contagious. It, it affects everybody. When you are courageous, it becomes contagious to all. But on the other side of that, so is complaining. Complaining is just as contagious as being courageous. And you get to decide on what day you'll have today by you stepping in and doing the next right thing in front of you to give glory to God for the good of others. So I want to pray with you before we go. Father, as we quiet ourselves before you, I ask that you would bless each and every one in this room. There are some that don't even want a blessing. But I pray that you'd bless them anyway. I pray that as we step into this day, that we would be courageous about the things that you're asking us to do that are right in front of us. I pray that the trust that we have between each other would fortify our faith in such an extraordinary way that glory would be shouted out throughout all the kingdom that you have found the man or the woman 
who longs for your presence in their life. And we will give you glory and thanks and praise for things that are not yet here. But help us to step into them as though they were. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you guys for coming.